What can you do when you manage brands? Can you control them? The answer is absolutely not. Anybody who says, I can control my brand anytime I want, you don't. You control the experiences you deliver. You don't control the perception. And so all you can do is influence those perceptions. That's really what the reality of brand is. That makes it equally a, an art as a science. You're listening to Campaign Brief, presented by Wondertree Media. I'm CJ Thomas, and I'm sitting down with marketing industry leaders to hear their stories, strategies, and lessons learned that you can use to stand out and grow your brand. Hey everyone, in this episode, I'm sitting down with Gitan Fraken. Gitan is the CEO and founder of Addictive, a brand consulting agency. He's worked with brands you may have heard of like Google, Samsung, BMW, and Genentech, just to name a few. Before starting Addictive, Gitan was the head of global marketing at the healthcare industry giant Roche, and prior to that, he was the head of global brand at Illumina. So in our conversation, we dive into all things brand, including why your brand doesn't start with a logo and typography, the pillars of what make a truly great brand and positive brand experiences. We also explore the role that data and technology plays in branding today. Gatan also sheds some light on opportunities that healthcare brands have to differentiate themselves in an industry where everyone seems to look and sound the same. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Gatan Fraken. I just wanted to just jump right into it yep. and start with, I think, obviously talking about branding, this being a huge expertise of yours and your background. I think it's important to set it up by really diving into what is brand, what is a good brand, what makes a high quality brand and, and kind of start there. Obviously, it's beyond just maybe logos and typography. What is it that really makes the essence of a quality brand? Well, brand is, is a reputation, Right, it's uh, a reputation that you build by um, delivering experiences. That's really what it is. Um, many brands uh, or many organizations um, don't pay attention to that aspect of their business, which obviously can have pretty dire consequences or not, depending on the quality again of the experiences they deliver. But really, a brand, as you said, is as opposed to what people say it is typically, which is a tip of the iceberg of marketing communications at the very top of that, you've got brand identity, brand identity at the, at the pinnacle of which is a logo and a name at the very top of that. That's typically that very tip uh, being considered or the, being used as a description for a brand. Obviously, the reality is it's an it's the entire pyramid and everything else is uh, way more important than just those aspects of, uh, of visual expression. So when we talk about experiences, it's basically every, every uh, interactions, your stakeholders, whether they're their customers, prospects, or other types of stakeholders uh, interact with your uh, company slash brand, those experiences are leaving them with a specific perception, whether negative or positive and everywhere in between. That is basically the integration of or the addition of all those perceptions become a series of uh, judgments. And those judgments ultimately integrate into, hey, I love these guys or I don't like them at all. And that's that's really what we're trying to build. So as a, as a final point of introduction around branding, what can you do when you manage brands? Can you control them? The answer is absolutely not. Anybody who says, I can control my brand anytime I want, you don't. You control the experiences you deliver. You don't control the perception. And so all you can do is influence those perceptions. That's really what the reality of branding is. That makes it equally a, an art as a science. Make sense? 
That makes sense. Yeah, and that's interesting to hear you say that you can't necessarily control the perception; you can only influence it, which I think is a really key thing to distinguish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I appreciate you mentioning that. And one of the questions that comes to my mind then, as you speak about brand really being reputation. Do you have sort of a way of explaining what are sort of the main components that go into a quality brand? Obviously, you alluded to the brand identity. What else would you say um, are the biggest components of branding? Well, so brand or branding, the practice of branding, but its purpose is is one thing, to build what is called brand equity, right? And equity is those positive uh, those positive deltas that are left behind every time you, you know, your customers slash your stakeholders interact with the brand and you integrate all those, you put them together and, and at the end of the day, you've got that uh, equity and that equity translates into very tangible consequences. And they are, for example, people willing to pay more for a similar product or willing to wait longer to get it even though the competition is already on the, in the marketplace with the product. Yours is not. They're going to wait for yours. Uh, so that, those are two examples of, of, of clear delta, positive delta. How do you ultimately measure the ROI impact of a brand? Obviously, it's maybe it's not always a short-term immediate response, but especially even when you're talking about with a larger company, you're having to justify to other stakeholders or to the CFO or things like that. How do you sort of um, measure and justify investment that goes into brand great question and 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 it's that's actually a, the brand value right uh, is is a concept that has been established for a long time in europe and much less in the u.s it is starting to happen with um organizations such as inner brand which is basically every single year uh, ranking the most valuable brands in the world and they do have a way to measure the, the, the value of the brand, which is the value of the experience, as we said before, right? Not the logo and not the colors. Um, the recipe they use or the formula they use is actually a, a secret recipe. Uh, they do divulge some of the high-level components of it, but then there are some very specific elements of it that are not public. That is their secret sauce, of course, and they're going to hold on to that. Uh, there's other sources of brand valuation, but definitely theirs seem to be the one that most aligned uh, behind as saying, you know, this is the closest to what the brand uh, should be. Now, the question is, where does that value go? Do you um, just talk about it for the, for the sake of being proud? Actually, it should be landing in your uh, financial statements, in your uh, balance sheet, right? Uh, it is the case in many European countries. So their accounting principles are different. And they do have, a in, under intangible assets, they have a section called goodwill. And within that section, they'll talk about brand value. Very interesting to see uh, even examples in the U.S. Our, our current president uh, had some clear fluctuations in the value of its uh, of his wealth. At some point in time, he was allegedly trying to compete with other uh, in the list of, uh, of the Forbes, of most, the richest people in America. And so from one day to the next, he added a uh, Trump brand value of, I believe, three point some billion dollars, if I, if I, if I recall properly, uh, which again, it is to be valued, right? Every brand has a value. And yes, it should ultimately land in your in your balance sheet. Uh, there's many other examples of that. Again, it is starting to progress in the US. People are starting to realize there's value there. Now, again, there's formulas. There's that one that seems to be the most uh, prevalent. But then there's also, in terms of how you measure the actual equity itself before you get to the valuation of it, equity being one component of the value of the brand. There's others, including financial you know, performance, market share, right. growth, and all these things. 
but uh, the actual equity measurement is done through different models and is one that is to me the the, the, the best um, that I've been using throughout those the, the past 15 20 years uh, is by a gentleman called uh, uh, Keller um, who has a, a pyramid model uh, six different layers starting with awareness all the way to the uh, emotional attachment and basically there's a way to quantify the bra- the brand equity or the components of the brand equity at each level and then with a the formula you're able to add all that stuff together and be able to say well this is my level today now it's an abstract number right it really is not dollars it's not millions of dollars it's basically a number what the number is used for is to track your progress over time right and you're basically the way you get to the number for each component is by doing research so you go to your different stakeholders and you ask very specific questions at the lowest level that's a very easy easy one it's a brand awareness um, which is basically easy to ask you know who do you know in the space of ABC, right? And if that, that's that's unedited awareness, of course you have edited awareness and it goes it goes up from there. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, and, and you sort of uh, mentioned that part of that is all the way up to emotional attachment. And I think that a lot of this is really what we're trying to get to, right? It's been said that people make decisions based on emotions and feeling and then back that up with logic. What's sort of the role, that sort of interplay between looking at hard data and taking that into the consideration when you're looking at building a brand or even rebranding or contributing to the brand that you already have versus the ideation stage and that sort of creative sort of letting it come to you or going out to the market like how do you balance the hard data and then still leaving room for finding something new and venturing into a different sort of territory and testing things that might not actually work mm-hmm. well that's the holy grail of branding so you're, you're touching exactly at the core of what what the most difficult thing to do is right um you're right uh, Emotions are, are key, and, and, but you may have a lot of pushback on that from organizations in a B2B space, right? They'll say, yeah, great. On the consumer side, of course, you know, the consumers, they're emotional and they're not rational. On the B2B space, you know, there are buyers, there are, you know, procurement teams, and they have to go through a very, very specific process. The reality is, it is true. So it's, of course, consumer, we're not arguing. If you look at the B2B space, um, the point where the buyer is presented or has narrowed down his or her list to, let's say, three to five potential vendors with similar value to you, meaning cost versus the value delivered to your business should you decide to invest in whatever solution they have to offer. Those are somewhat equivalent. They've made the the conclusion that they could actually be very happy with any of those. From that point on, from that very moment on, the next decision's would be made on of paid out based on how do I feel about these people? How do I feel about these products and solutions? Who do I want to work with? Um, that is very much emotional. It's yet not not much to do with with rational analysis because all the rationality is already taken care of. And so anyone anybody who who tells anyone in a b2b space branding doesn't matter is is obviously fooling themselves and emotion don't matter emotions don't matter that is also uh, fooling themselves and here's another reason why 
as markets become more and more saturated, and we'll talk about life science later on and, and the challenges of, of branding in life science and healthcare, but in keeping it general, as markets become more saturated with all these solutions are somewhat equivalent, right? You end up with um, a, a difficulty for people to actually make choices. It really becomes very difficult. You know, which way do I go and why? Um, and uh, at the end of the day, you are talking to a human being, right? And as you focus on uh, the fact that most brands today are expected by markets, whether it's institutional buyers, you know, B2B or consumers, to deliver more than just products and services, right? It's called social responsibility. It's called bigger purpose. There's different ways to talk about that. There's even agencies that focus on building that side of your business. R- truly, right? Not just to, this is how you claim, yeah. like you know, say you, you're, you're a B Corp. A stamp or, at the bottom exactly. of the website. Right. So that is not the, the, the story. The story is, what are your core values? What tr- do you truly believe in? And, and beyond making money, why are you doing this, right? It has to be something. If, if money is the only purpose, your business probably has days that are counted, ultimately, right? So if you do have a bigger purpose, which some do, some don't, if you do, that story has to be told. And there's got to be an emotional connection to it because the bigger purpose always lands with people or the environment or other things, right? It's really about either health or poverty or environmental protection. or And so, so they, they, you get to find that core true val- set of values deep inside of you as a co-founder or an executive of a larger corporation, agree on what that one thing truly is, and then figure out a way to truly work towards helping solve that problem or contribute to some solutions. And of course, tell that story because you should, and there's no reason not to, but, but, but first you got to start by giving and making a difference and then telling that story later, right? Make sense? Yeah. I think one of the things that's connecting here too is you mentioned, you know, going even back to the start about how brand is all about reputation Mm -hmm. and then hearing what you're talking about now, having to, to have some sort of sense of core values and, and that bigger mission, I think that at least in my mind, reputation goes along with experience. And so it's hard to build a reputation on statements alone mm-hmm. or on just purely marketing that you're focused on the greater good or being altruistic. And so I think, you know, hearing from what you're saying, it's really clicking with me in that to really build that reputation and that brand. It's every action that you're doing, not right. just what you're saying or what your identity is, but really the actual actions that you're taking as a company mm-hmm. contribute to the brand, which is, which I think is huge and not a common way to look at brand, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And there are examples of how to not do it. There's a commercial on TV right now from a financial institution uh, saying, hey, you know, you can save money and save the world at the same time, right? Because of, I'm not even sure. You look at it and go, oh my gosh, wow, that's, that's a bold statement, right? That is going way too far. That is really not credible. So it's really finding that sweet balance uh, in, in the communication, as you said, to start with action, truly. And then, you know, prove your case, right? Live by your values, deliver. And that, that alone should organically almost build that brand through the experience, as you described it. But then if you do have to tell a story, you got to do it in a very subtle way and soft because it can't seem or come across as being self-serving. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I wanted to ask about too is just it seems like, you know, you hear a lot in the branding and marketing space about how audiences and consumers today 
are very good at sniffing through the BS and really seeing through this, you know, veil of we're good, we're good, we're just trying to do good for the world. They're good at seeing through that. Is that like, have you noticed that? Has that always been the case? And maybe we're just more aware of it now with digital and social or sort of what is, what is your take on that? Well, that is changing quite fast. Right? The, 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 the information that's available is, is incredibly powerful. Uh, there's also a lot of disinformation in the space. You know, there's a lot of, um, um, I would say, counter operations from different brands trying to make other brands look bad by coming up with you know fake stories. They're claiming this, but they're really not, not doing it. So, of course, everyone has to be careful about what, what information they're getting and, and, and what the sources are and, and how substantiated it is. But in general, a lot of it is actually really good information. And, and um, it, it has become difficult to hide today. You can't hide behind words. You really have to put your actions first and... Words should really not be yours. It should be other people talking for you about what the experience is with your brand and the value they're seeing you delivering to them and, of course, other stakeholders through your good actions. I love that. Mm-hmm. And so, Gitan, of course, you have had some experience in building some really incredible brands um, in the healthcare space and beyond. And one of the things I'm curious about is when you're talking about approaching this task of building a brand, obviously, that's a lifetime commitment right for the company but what are some of the sort of bigger steps or even phases that go into a brand or even a rebrand if a company is looking at something like that what are what's sort of that process and what are some considerations to have in mind there yeah so um when i was running uh my agency that i i started back in 2002 uh audacity um we develop very specific solutions to address those challenges, right? And uh, they include brand creation, which is obviously starting from scratch or brand refresh. If you um, if you have some uh, cosmetic adjustments to make or another one was called brand uh, revitalization, which is basically a, a redefinition or repositioning of a brand. So let's, let's focus on that because that's actually a lot of the the needs, right? The, the, the creation from, from the start is typically led by the product itself. You know, that's really what's driving the brand. If the product is truly uh, disruptive and uh, adds a, a level of value that no other product has before, that is what is defining what the brand stands for and then it goes from there. Um, and that's also, and then if you look at a process such as this one, um, it basically starts with understanding what this company is about so it really has to connect to to corporate strategy right so brand is not in a vacuum brand is not necessarily part of marketing either brand is a practice of its own it's a function of its own which really is not limited to marketing because it's cross-functional right the the experience we described earlier we discussed earlier is not just based on the website or products or emails it's based on the product interactions based on customer service interactions with finance, with everybody else. That's truly cross-functional. So you have to really look at it more holistically. So go to the corporate strategy level and understand, okay, so this is where you are. Uh, What do you stand for moving forward? What are the key axes of of development, right? Uh, What is the vision moving forward? That's the foundation. Then we have to go to market and really understand what the perceptions are. And figure out what the gap looks like. And it's going to be typically a significant gap between what the company says it is today, it stands for, what it says it's going to be in the future, and of course what people 
say it is. People don't know what your vision is. They know what the experience is, right? what the experience is. So that's three different spaces already, which you have to reconcile by doing some gap analysis and some, some gap consolidation. That's one part of the, of the job. Once you've done that, the question afterwards is, okay, then based on all those components, we have to go revisit that vision to ensure that we leverage some of the very positive associations or elements that seem to be very positive in terms of value delivery, uh, positioning uh, within the marketplace. Maybe you're missing those components that you have to bring them back and add them to that vision that you have moving forward. Maybe there are some negative associations that need to be addressed as well. So you really have to not just take it in a vacuum and really look at the, what the marketplace you know, is saying and feeling about, about your brand. All the equity you've built these need to be leveraged, right? You can't just say, throw it away, let's start fresh. That's really not the way to go, unless you had a crisis. For example, a TWA crash, remember? They re rebranded, of course, the, the company. Everything had to be completely different, right? And there's many examples like that. So once you have that finalized uh, vision, you can get into a um, rebuilding a positioning platform, which has a bunch of components. And please... Let's remember, it's more than a positioning statement, right? A lot of companies don't understand that <clears throat> this is not all there is to positioning platform. Uh, there's, of course, a series of brand attributes, which is adjectives uh, describing your brand, and uh, perceptual maps, uh, which compare you and, and your competition on, on different aspects of, of, mm -hmm. of brand evaluation. There's a lot of components within that, that platform. Once the platform is in place, <clears throat> the question is, okay, so how is our verbal and how are our verbal and visual expression, how is that expressing that platform that we just redefined? Of course, it's going to be different, right? Because we just came up with something quite new. So the likelihood of there being no gap is, is pretty much zero. I've never seen it happen, to be right. honest with you, and I've done that many times. Once you have the gap analysis, right, between that expression and the platform, the position platform, you have to understand where to bridge those gaps. And that's where the science and art meet. Because the question is, what does orange mean? What does a shape mean? What does a sound mean? An emotion? Because in a digital world, it's more than just static components, right? And of course, um, in your space, you know, what about videography? What about imagery? You know, what is going to be the best choices from a creative standpoint to better, to best express those elements of positioning that we have agreed upon, right? Mm -hmm. So it's true across all those different media and, and tools. Uh, once we make those choices, we have to visualize them, we have to sound them, we have to mock them up. And this is all part of now a, a, a board, right? That is going to represent that brand. Of course, that's the ver this is visual. On the verbal side of things, you know, there's all the verbal expression, which turns into a message platform or messaging platform. Uh, which really is about you know what we do, who we are, what we do, how we do it, why does it matter, all those elements. And uh, from there, you've got uh, the raw materials to then go back to your current expression and, and say, okay, well, we have to reuse those components now into new uh, yeah. communication tools and, and what, we, what we call applications. So redo your site, redo your story, redo your everything else. So that's, that's, that's what the, the process looks like. Um, it's it's complex. It takes um, months, yeah. uh, and it's not something that you do, uh, you know, between four and six, a couple of nights a week. Right, right. And and I think it's hearing what you're saying about having, you know, it's not just something that exists in a vacuum, but really having that input from all departments, all pieces of the company, 
And one of the things I want to go back to that you touched on very early in that process is uh, ensuring that it's aligned with the corporate strategy. Yes. And that it's not just branding is there just to, to be to be our identity, but it's aligned with the strategic direction of the organization. Mm-hmm. Can you give some examples of like what that looks like or sort of boil that part down? Yeah. Um, and by the way, I missed one thing, and then we're going to jump back to that. Um, we talked about visual and verbal expression. There's also, of course, customer experience that has to be redesigned. So they are basically uh, agencies and professionals that focus just on that. Well, they'll basically look at what this new platform um, is dictating and then they're going to go back to the experience and do the complete analysis, right? Understand where the company is able to add the most value and create the most equity. And then make sure that those um, choices that are made at each touch point, right, through each channel yeah. are in line with what the platform is mandating. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's very important to go beyond the visual expression. Um, now, if we go back to um, your question, which is about strategy, right, and how do you then connect strategy to those elements, right? Exactly. Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, let's say you want to be, um, let's just take an example of a diagnostic company doing molecular diagnostics. And they've been selling to uh, clinicians um, or hospitals um, for years. And their strategy is to go downstream, uh, the consumer level, to allow them to actually order those tests um, uh, by evolving, of course, their their clinician, but they have the the ability to find what tests they're interested in in doing based on what they think their health issues uh, may be. That is a drastic change in business model, right? Uh, uh, It it has implications across reimbursement, across, of course, communication, positioning, messaging, and visual expression as well. Because when you talk to consumers, it's a very different language than when you talk to a clinician, right? Yeah. So that is an example of a change in strategy, which is basically a business model that's evolving downstream, which is going to have serious implications because now you have to have a new voice. It's the same brand, same values, same foundations, but the way the brand is expressed, the language you're using, both visually and verbally, and the experience you're crafting for that new stakeholder, which is consumers, is brand new to you. It's it's interesting to hear that specific example too, because I'm sure that there are many cases like that where you're, in many cases, even speaking to completely different audiences, and you mm-hmm. have to sort of reconcile that with this larger thing that is your brand. Mm-hmm. So hearing about that is interesting. Now, shifting gears a little bit, since you've been in branding for how long now you've been doing this? Since 2000. Since 2000, actually. So that's 19 years. Yeah. So I'm curious. We we talk a lot in marketing and advertising about the shifts from traditional to digital. How have you seen that impact the world of branding? Because, of course, the core of what a brand is has not changed. But or maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it has. But Mm -hmm. but maybe the vehicles of one, how you distribute that brand, but also arrive to what that brand is maybe there's new opportunities there so how have you sort of seen that shift in the transition to digital yes yeah, so as, as as you said initially uh, or alluded to the core of what the brand is and does doesn't change right as you said there's different vehicles different channels that are being used right now the beauty about what's happening is the ability to measure 
everything you do in real time. And that is very new. So marketing has had traditionally a, a negative connotation with many organizations, uh, which is a reason why more CFOs or chief um, or sales or you know, chief commercial officers or um, um, operations, chief operations officers would actually end up being the CEO of an organization and, and much more rarely would a CMO for, and for marketing, not, not medical, right, would actually reach the pinnacle of the organization. Um, so there's the problem historically has been to anticipate potential results of uh, marketing investments and, of course, branding investments uh, because it was very difficult. <clears throat> Today, um, anticipating um, everything ahead of time is still very difficult, but because you can test with very small investments and do a lot of A-B testing and changing uh, back and forth, to, you actually will get to a point very quickly and economically where you can find ways to l have leverage points and, and create value for yourself and see a positive ROI. And, and that, again, can be done quickly and economically. Once you find those leverage points and those veins, you can then exploit them aggressively with bigger numbers and actually generate the results you're hoping for. And that's what's changed the game today. So um, if you're able to hire an agency like, like Interbrand and actually do a brand valuation before you start a process of brand building exercise and then be able to do that again 12 months later or six months later, depending on the frequency at which it needs to be done based on how fast your market is moving and you're moving within that market, then that's great. Very few organizations have that luxury or that kind of money. So if you don't have that, look at marketing and look at uh, some elements of brand equity that are easy to measure, right? And track it. And um, that will give you enough data points if you know how to bring it all together to be able to report very, very tangibly why you're doing what you're doing and what kind of results you're getting and to be able to actually get the, the budget that you believe are the right budgets for you to, to, to ask for moving forward. So it's a beautiful time to be in marketing and branding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that, you know, speak, we always speak about marketing and branding as separate things, which to a degree they are, but they also play into each other. But I think one thing that, you know, to what you're speaking about with testing is obviously that's critical in marketing, especially now on, on digital, but even hearing about in branding, how you can leverage that testing to create more alignment with the brand. At what point, I mean, obviously there are certain things I'm assuming where you kind of have to balance, okay, we're going to test and see how this works with the consumer, but we're also going to stick true to what our ultimate purpose is and what our brand we believe should be. Is there sort of a line where you're compromising brand values and brand beliefs to sort of just figure out what's, what's working in these tests or how do you kind of navigate that duality? That's another great question. You know, I've, I've met people who um, have said um, that some of the ugliest, ugliest ads, uh, let's say on Facebook or, or Google, are the ones that have the most traction. And uh, con con their conclusion about that is keep going, you know, find, just use that, make it ugly and it's going to work. That is, again, that's one school of thought. Um, my view on it is uh, don't, um, don't go after short-term quick wins uh, to the detriment of what you're trying to do, which is to build a brand that, that has meaning 
and that has integrity or should, right? Uh, so it's fine balance to find, but I think everybody should be responsible in defining what they're willing to allow in terms of potential damage to their brand expression and the experience they're providing for the sake of, of quick wins. Um, I'm, I would be more on the more conservative side um, to, uh, to think about the long term. Yeah. And I think everything always ultimately circles back to where we started, which is the purpose and what is that, that promise and the value mm-hmm. of the brand. And I, I feel like if, if one was to just enter branding and that conversation sort of looking at it surface level of identity and, and just looking at the, again, the logos, typography, things like that, it, I can see how that can get you into a lot of trouble down the line because you don't even have anything to make those decisions based on, right? If you don't have a core belief in your brand or if you don't have these values and, and that ultimate sort of value proposition, how can you stay true to that through your marketing? And then that's how you end up just going with what works, right? The ugliest ads on Facebook or things like that. What are some of the other advantages long-term of really thinking about building a strong brand that ultimately has trust in that reputation? You know, think about an analogy of a couple. Um, Through the life of a marriage, there's going to be after the honeymoon period, uh, moments where things are not quite as um, exciting or um, agreeable uh, as, as, as before. And then things will get better again and, and worse again. And that's a very normal uh, cycle. Um, in business, it's the same thing. You know, you may have a, a very good a run with a product or two and clearly differentiating products with great value add. Uh, that are running really, really well. And then you may get to a point where the competition is someone taking you over from a product standpoint, even from an experience standpoint. You may make mistakes. You may falter. Well, having a solid brand, um, a solid reputation, you will help you weather those difficult times. Uh, and uh, people will be patient and will wait, as we said earlier, a little bit of time. They'll, they'll give you that space and time to try and get back on track. Um, if you don't have that, uh, it's basically um, a, 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 quick, a, a speed dating process, right? I like you now, but I forget about you tomorrow should I find something more attractive. So it's the difference between between speed dating and having a long-term relationship and what you want to build is this, this long-term relationship. Right. Especially when you think about not only the internal things that can happen, but external algorithm changes. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the ugliest ads on Facebook. If you're, if you're counting on the red arrow and the big white letters working on Facebook forever, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're very vulnerable. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I think sort of a, a long-term brand can help pull you through changes too. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm really hearing from this as well. Yeah. Look, look at the Apple brand, for example. You know, they've, they've gone through a lot of, uh, of um, ups and downs. Um, they've, got a great, they've had a great run with the iPhone. Uh, and today, I mean, this year is the first year where sales are actually not going to be growing, uh, which is uh, very bad news in the, uh, in the industry, obviously. I mean, there's very strong competition from the Samsungs of this world and, and others. Um, there's a lot of questions about the pricing strategy. Um, these phones are becoming more and more prohibitive for the average uh, consumer, uh, even in rich countries such as the U.S. or Western Europe. Um, but business is still 
growing as a whole, right? Despite uh, the softening of, of the sales. So there are, there are some decisions that have been made. You know, they're really focusing on, on ultimate quality and it shows these products are like a piece of jewel, right? It's, it's their, their, they're just never, ever going to cut corners, which is part of their brand. But at the same time, there's now a, a real challenge on the pricing side of things. And um, despite that challenge, uh, there's still, still, of course, a, a nice road ahead for that brand. We don't know what other products are going to be in the pipeline, but even from an iPhone franchise perspective, that's an example of... Yeah. Uh, you know, frustrations, uh, just, you know, sometimes people being disappointed by the fact that they can't afford those products anymore, but still they'll, they'll save as hard as they can for as long as they can to try and get with these products ultimately. And they're in a more resilient position, right? That's right. They can handle that mm-hmm. and they can navigate through that. So one thing that I think would be really interesting for us to explore is in the branding space, I think it's, it's very attractive to want to differentiate and take risks but then when it comes to actually doing that it's really hard because you're taking risks because you're doing something that may not have been done before i would love to kind of hear your thoughts around what it means to take risks how what does that look like and sort of your experience with being willing to actually truly differentiate as opposed to sort of follow what seems to always work in your industry or among people that you maybe admire what's your take on all of that so great question um first i think we need to differentiate innovative from different right so that's that's two different things right? right every brand has to be differentiated there's no question about that that doesn't mean they have to be innovative a lot of brands are absolutely not innovative and they're doing really well right there's plenty of examples out there the, the innovative ones are the, at the very top of the of the pyramid right and at the at the top of the risk taking aspect of things so let's let's make make sure we're we're clearly differentiating that so if innovative is not part of your brand dna which we talked about brand positioning platform earlier innovative being an adjective which could be or not be part of that platform so if it's not we don't need to be innovative we just need to figure out a way to be differentiated it could be cheaper it could be you know by being better at producing things at a cheaper cost could be many things many ways to be differentiated now if innovative is part of that platform now the question is what does it mean and how far can you push that <clears throat> and yes there's a risk factor that is associated with being too innovative i believe it was ogilvy i'm not sure to be to be confirmed who said um, you um, only know that you're being innovative as an agency, right? When you pitch concepts, when you scared the S out of your uh, client. Um, and I've experienced that several times. <clears throat> and we've been fired several times for pushing the envelope too far. Now, the very interesting thing also is that if you don't do that, a lot of clients will tell you, this is somewhat standard, isn't it? So there's, there's a very uh, unforgiving approach to what innovative is, is and, and isn't and should be, right? Um, it is clear that being different uh, and extremely different and really pushing the envelope is something that is scary, uh, as you said, and specifically in the space of healthcare and life sciences where everybody follows the... Um, uh, the very safe model, right? The visualization of healthcare products and services is typically a family, happy, smiling, good-looking, holding hands, walking on the beach. That's what we see in a vast majority of the case. If you walk, if you drive around 805 and 5 in, in La Jolla, where they see, you see a lot of the, the big health systems such as Sharp or UCSD, 
health and you'll see those billboards with uh, visuals that are extremely extremely generic either a doctor standing there saying we are number one in this and that or a new device or uh, again that family on the beach right um why is it the way it is and why is it not changing you know i've had very interesting conversations with a lot of these people and and they are very open to something different but at the end of the day they typically fall back because of fear um so the beauty about today is that we can test those things right it's pretty easy to do and we could test them a long time ago but i'm not sure why maybe that was not done maybe not done the right way because if you test you can get data back and really understand you know is that potentially being perceived neg negatively could it have a could it have a negative impact on our brand um i'm not sure why ultimately despite the ability today to truly test um what the implications of something truly innovative would be um Uh, why is it not, uh, why don't we see more, more, more of a difference, right? So when you talk to, to brands, which I, I've been doing for the past, you know, probably 10, 12 years in the healthcare space, um, they really don't know. It's, it's just fear, fear. And even when you bring data sometimes, I don't know that they believe the data or that they want to believe yeah. that. It's just fear takes over and say, you know, I see the numbers. I, I get this, but what if, right? You know, if you look at large organizations, startups are different, but large, large organizations, You know, you're in your position for a certain period of time. CMO average 10 years, what, two and a half years today across, you know, every organization size in the U.S. It's not mm -hmm. a long time. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done during that period of time. And I think the last thing they want to do is make it shorter. Right. Yeah, because you have to get buy-in among everyone. That's right. Which is a hard sell, especially when you're talking about when you're in a space where it is very much sort of not used to taking those risks from a branding and marketing perspective. That's right. And it's called design by committee, right? And I'm sure you're facing that too when you're talking to clients and you're showing different ways to present or to craft the, 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 the product you're working on. You've got people in a room that should not be in a room or they should be in a room and not necessarily have an, a veto right, right? Uh, the problem is uh, in this world of consensus, uh, which we see not just in large organizations, but also in small ones, where everybody should be heard and yeah. a piece of their opinion should matter. They should be able to actually see it in, in, the, in the end product. That is really what was destroying a lot of brands today um, because these people should, of course, be heard. But at the end of the day, um, design by committee has never worked, never will. And all it does is create something that has absolutely zero value and zero impact. And that's, that's the unfortunate outcome of, 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 of trying to be too too open too welcoming too accommodating basically yeah it's a, it's a it's definitely not a democratic process and shouldn't be <laughs> yeah well i think again it goes back to if the brand or whatever initiative we're speaking about is aligned with a strategic objective if you can get everyone behind what that objective is then i think it's a little bit easier to make those decisions right because yep. it's no longer oh, well, my personal taste really wants this, or it's what's ultimately going to be best in service of this objective that we've all agreed upon. And that's great. That's exactly what everyone should do, right, in the, in the communication industry, branding industry. But you know, just like I do, right? Mm -hmm. The first thing I've, I've done systematically and I'm still doing when I, when I see clients is to say, okay, let's restate what this 
what the strategy is. Let's make sure we recap. Let's make sure this is fresh in our minds. And those are going to be used as filters for what I'm going to show next. Yeah. And the last thing I want to hear from you is, it doesn't resonate with me. Or even worse, I don't like it. I don't like yeah. blue. I don't like orange. I don't like the font. I think it looks... Right. So that's... So you go through the exercise and then you move on to the reveal and surprise, more often than none, it doesn't resonate with me. I don't like it. And of course, you have to go back and say, okay, so what in this do you believe is not aligned with what we showed about seven minutes ago? Mm-hmm. And this is where, of course, it becomes very muddy, you know, and sometimes very emotional and you can only push so far because right. ultimately the client makes the decision, right? You're there as a as a consultant to try and help them make the right choices, right? And i give you an interesting example for that. Uh, when, uh, it, when, I, uh, when Lumina approached me back, I believe in 2009, which is 10 years ago, right, with uh, an exercise to uh, explore what the brand uh, expression should be, considering the fact that they were going from life science research with instrumentation, reagents, consumables, into uh, diagnostics and, in, and downstream from that into consumer genomics. That was 10 years ago. They had a full sequencing offer at something like $35,000 yeah. for very rich individuals. Uh, I believe they would give them an iPad with all the data on the hard drive and, and then some level of analysis of that, right? Very, of course, very basic at the time, much more basic than what, it is, what is available today. So the question was, you know, do we, do we have multiple logos? Do we change the color from orange? You know, the, the, the kind of orange... Uh, element part of the brand in the life science space into blue for diagnostic they had a logo for that in Lumina DX at the time with the blue mm-hmm. DX uh, tilted and what would we do for consumers so the response after the analysis that I did with the team was keep it a monolithic brand right and make sure to um, um, have a, an expression that's going to be sufficiently open to welcome those new areas of of uh, of services and products right um the answer was great fantastic well tell us what it looks like so we worked on that and and then the the mandate was you can do anything you want but don't touch the logo <laughs> right you've heard that maybe you've heard that before <laughs> we've heard that like more often than none yeah and so at the time the the logo had a series of beads at a 45 degree angle crossing you know top to the top right to the bottom left of the word uh, illumina and uh, my question was simple what are those beads and the answer was this is to symbolize bead array technology which is technology the company was uh, had developed prior to purchasing uh, Selexa and and acquiring a technology called sequencing uh, by um, uh, synthesis as BS which has brought them to where they are today and the absolute leader in the space of sequencing and uh, my question my second question was is this the technology you guys are going to be using way forward? The answer was no, of course. And last question, why, what is it? What is it? Was it there? Yeah, why? It's a good question. <laughs> so um, I got them to send me the vector format, selected all those beads, hit delete, and then changed the eye to the orange color to symbolize the individuality of the genome, right? And then bring the equity of that color within the brand uh, mark itself. When that was placed in all the comps and presented in the boardroom, uh, the answer of uh, uh, the CEO at the time, Jay Flatley, was, it makes sense. Yeah. And off you go, right? This became a, from a don't touch to let's go ahead and implement. That was, I think, a very interesting story that shows that um, when you're able to um, 
use logic, common sense, you know, it's not that difficult to, to move forward in the right direction. Yeah, because initially they were... That was a big logo. logo. Exactly. <laughs> that makes sense? So yeah. it's very interesting. Again, that was also a decision of a CEO that when that person makes the call, things do happen. And we don't see that every time. Very, you know, very often they'll bring a team around and start thinking, what is your opinion? What do you think? There's still equity in that whole technology, for example. And, right. and then you just get very muddy. Yeah. yeah. What do you think it was that pushed, pushed it over the edge and took him from don't t- touch the logo to, hey, this is... This, this feels right. Well, two things. One, you as an individual, as a, as a service provider, doing what you believe is right. Um, and questioning everything, right? And, and there's, no, there's nothing off limits. Everything should be questioned. That doesn't mean it should be changed, but definitely questioned. And if it's great, then don't touch it. That's the first thing. That's on, on, on the provider side. On the, on, the, on the brand side is to have true leadership and uh, executive decision ability, Right? That's that's critical because yeah. if that's not there, nothing's going to happen either. So if those two components are in place, you can do some amazing things. And I love what you said about questioning everything too, because ultimately that's how great ideas evolve and are tested. You know, we're big believers here that you know the first idea is rarely what the end result is. Right? It goes through this process of testing, stretching people's you know inputs, and and everyone kind of questioning why this idea why is why is this why does this have to look like this or feel like this and um ultimately that's how things evolve and i'm actually a huge fan of of pixar and i love their approach to storytelling and they have their 22 rules of storytelling and and one of their commandments i'll probably butcher it but it's something to the degree of discount the first idea that comes to mind and the second and the third like get the obvious out of the way and I think to me, like that goes along with what you're saying about just questioning everything and saying, well, why, why this? Because it's not always the first thing that pops to mind that is going to turn into ultimately what's going to make everyone feel good and lend towards that reputation. That's right. So what, what's obvious is comfortable. And it's not too questionable. It's not too risky. So yeah, those first ideas will always be part of the comfortable space. And um, that's not going to be a building a Pixar, which obviously became a, um, an incredible organization because it was approaching storytelling in a very different way, right? Yeah. So sort of staying on this vein of healthcare specifically, because that's where a lot of your experience and, and expertise is from the branding standpoint, what other things do you think, or I guess a better way to say this is what opportunities do you see now with healthcare? Because of course there's sort of this traditional model of like, here's the way healthcare branding looks. And you're saying that maybe it doesn't always have to look that way. So what opportunities are there for healthcare brands or new devices or medical technologies to sort of explore when it comes to establishing that brand? It's a great question, and it's a bit of the holy grail in in healthcare branding, and everybody's trying to find that answer um, by exploring different directions. Um, If you look at um, the reality in healthcare, um, no matter how upstream you are, right, as a brand, whether you're an instrument maker, like medical device, or you're above that instrument for research and discovery, which is obviously the example of Illumina, you always think downstream and you may at some point in time decide I'm going to go all the way to consumer right and use them to visualize 
my brand, express it visually, and uh, so that uh, no matter who I'm talking to, they'll realize that say it's a it's a lab, it's a research lab. They'll realize well, your research is important because of you know who ultimately will benefit from that, right? It goes into the pharma space and medical device space, and then downstream into the the, the patient. Now the question is, okay, if it's let's say oncology, right? which is a significant space in research and, and, and medicine, right? Uh, one of the largest in, in, in the world. You, um, you have two options, right? We, you show the, the typical uh, healthy, happy, everything looking good, or you decide to go a different direction and show uh, sick patients, for example. Well, those have been tested. They don't work well at all, right? Um, and uh, it's never been a, a good thing to show people how bad things can be. Right, everybody. Even though uh, you may not be sick, but potentially one day, or if you're sick, the last thing you want to see is someone who is equally as sick as you right. are. Right? You want you want to see the hope at the end of the tunnel. So we're back to square one. Uh, so what is the answer? Um, it's um, as we talked about experience. I think this is where we need to broaden. This is this is as far as we want to broaden the, the thought process. You know, stop being so caught up on on the visual expression of things but we think in terms of what's my model and how do i make a difference beyond the product itself uh at the user level right whoever is using my product um and um based on what your core values are which they could be anything for example simplifying um well if simplifying is at the foundation of your brand uh, platform, everything you're going to be doing should be simpler, or not everything, but at the end of the day, the integration of all the interactions any individual stakeholder is going to have with your brand have to be simpler at the mm-hmm. end of this process. And when you combine all the different uh, different elements of experience. And what does that mean? Okay, well, let's look at them one by one. And where can I actually have this, some of the quick wins or some of the more difficult ones, basically? Um, and as you're going through that shift as to how you deliver that experience, then how does that look, right, at each of these touch points, right? Um, and I think in healthcare, it's really about not being so literal, right? Stop necessarily showing people. Uh, we know what people look like. We see each other all the time, right? We can go on the beach and see these people. It's, it, it's, it's basically noise at this point in time, right? Um, and so how do I then conceptualize the idea as opposed to being so literal? And that's, that's where some, some really amazing healthcare brands have been able to, um, to differentiate. And there's still others today that are you know, working hard to try and, and build the differentiation and doing really well from a business standpoint. And they're trying to figure out which way, which way to go as to how to visualize themselves. But that shouldn't be the primary uh, concern. The primary concern is how do I deliver the most memorable right. And not actually enjoyable, it depends on what you're selling, right? If it's entertainment, yes, but memorable, positive, uplifting, useful experience, depending on what you're, you're providing to uh, those stakeholders. And then again, the visual part is a detail of that. Because there's so much communication saturation today, right? Across, across every channel. The brand really comes back to the product and and that experience that you have way way all the way upstream through the experience with the product to downstream after you're done Mm -hmm. using it and that's um, a much more difficult enterprise than in the past slapping a great looking couple 
on an ad or on a website. That's a lot more complex. Now, I guess just sort of looking forward, what is it that we can be doing from today, taking from this conversation to really ensure that we're building a brand that's meaningful? Well, it's first you need to uh, decide to um, accept the fact that it is a, a valuable asset, whether you... Um, whether you manage it or not, there's a value there, right? So the next question is, am I, with, am I ready to maximize the value of that asset, right? And if the answer is yes, which hopefully should be, right? What does that mean? What it means you have to have someone to be in charge of that in the driver's seat, right? And that someone should be uh, reporting directly to the CEO of an organization, should have cross-functional uh, recommendation ability and should be supported in some of these recommendations to be to be implemented cross-functionally, uh, including marketing, but not being part of marketing, right? That person should uh, base all recommendation on what the engineering of that experience should be um, and be able to pitch that to the leadership of the organization, again, cross-functional leadership, to uh, then be implemented into plans of evolution, right, through time. Um, There should be um, management function for the brand where its value is measured and through time as well. And it should be direct correlation or a very close relationship with marketing, and all that orchestrated by the head of of brand. In some cases, that could be the same as the head of marketing if he or she has the ability and the tools and the capabilities to actually do that. If you don't, that's when you you join forces with an agency, but the last thing you want to do is to completely outsource your brand ownership, right? Because... That's not something you want to do. This is something that's part that's at the core of your DNA as an organization. Right. So it's really about, again, it's valuable. Yes. Are we willing and ready to manage that? Maximize the value? Yes. How do we manage that? Do we put the organization in place to do that? The processes, the policies, the budgets behind that, the way to measure, uh, the way to report uh, all that information to your, to your board or executive team. Um, and um, with at the core of that, that experience and the dimension of responsibility beyond making money that we yeah. discussed earlier uh, as uh, as the fertilizer for the soil, right? Uh, and make sure that helps, you know, ensure the, the future of the viability of who your brand is and what it does and why it matters. Yeah, I love that. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, if anyone wants to maybe learn more about you or kind of what you're up to or maybe any sort of other branding goodness that you have out in the world, how might someone be able to find that? They can uh, reach out to me through LinkedIn. And they'll find me pretty easily and we we'll can uh, connect. And Perfect. And I'll put a link to that in the uh, show notes and the blog post. Perfect. Thank you so much. Cool. Thanks, Gatan. Thanks so much for checking out this episode. I hope you liked it. I hope you got a lot out of it. If so, it would mean the world to me if you could jump over to Apple Podcasts and leave an honest rating and review for the show. That helps us get this out to more marketing leaders like yourself. I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks.